0: you found the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Here's the host, Bill Spohn.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I think you know by now, if you're a dedicated listener like I hope you are, that the goal of the Building HVAC Science Podcast is to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and buildings they work in. Today we'll be exploring those topics from a little different angle. For several years in southern Maine, a small group of building professionals have been getting together monthly to discuss building science. Many topics are brought up for discussion, high-performance windows, venting cathedral ceilings, moisture migration and wall assemblies, slab on grade details, and more. Conversation, as I've been told, is informal and roams a bit. However, at one of those meetings a while ago, one of my guests today, builder Dan Colbert, expressed frustration with the status quo and even more frustration with the various rating systems that had him jumping through many hoops to prove that his work was in fact green and energy efficient. Some find these systems costly in time and money and doing little to advance the project. Rather, they are simply certifying them. So Dan said, I just want to build a pretty good house and that's where this story begins. Today I'm joined by Christopher and Dan. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi. Good morning. Girl. Hi. These are two friends. We think we're friends because we think we've met before or LinkedIn makes us feel that way. I can say that are working on some very interesting concept. I want to say it got started around 2011. Dan, Dan Colbert, give us your background and what is this concept we're talking about today?
2: I am a building contractor in Portland, Maine. We do residential work, a mix of renovation and new construction. I am also the moderator of what we call the Building Science Discussion Group, which ran for about a decade before COVID interrupted it. One of our conversations was right around the time that Passive House was really taking off around here, and I had a little bit of experience with it. And I had a fair amount of experience with LEED for homes and some experience with other rating systems. And I liked them all. They all have very valuable pieces. But we were just trying to think what if you don't want to build a rated home? What if you just want to get to the essence of them without going through their processes? So the joke for the title of that session was What if you just want to build a pretty good house? And we had a really great conversation. And then Mike Mains, one of our co authors on the book, wrote it up for Green Building Advisor. And then it just exploded. I think there were well over 100 comments to that first blog post. And then Martin Holliday, who was the editor at the time, really loved the idea. So he kept the conversation going on GBA. We had some more sessions on it locally that Mike also wrote up. And it just grew legs immediately. It's something about the term. Everybody seemed to know what you were talking about just by saying it. And then a few years later, we returned to it in our discussion group in the interim I think there'd been a lot of great research and writing on the carbon load of house building as opposed to the carbon load of heating and cooling buildings. And so we returned to the subject and said, well, what we called it PGH 2.0, the low carbon addition. And it was really looking at how do we build these houses that are either much less CO2 equivalent upfront, or even possibly negative, that these are houses that are actually absorbing carbon.
1: So Chris, give us an introduction to you and how you got engaged with this
0: process. I'm Chris Briley. I'm an architect in Portland, Maine. My company's called Bryburn. We say we practice architecture for life. And what we mean by that is high performance, sustainable, green architecture, et cetera, et cetera. I was like Dan going to the same building science discussion group. In fact, I was his we could say is understudy. When Dan couldn't make it, I would step up and moderate. And Dan played that down a lot. He may have been grumpy that day when choosing the subject. He and Steve Constantino of Performance Building Supply, they'd always come up with a topic, like, I don't know, last minute, or it was something that was bothering them or something. And Dan is frustratingly going through some leaping hurdles for, I don't know whether it was Passive House or what, but he's just like, I just want to do a pretty good house. What does that look like? Let's just talk about what we were all supposed to be doing, what we should be doing here in Maine to have a high performance house. What does that mean for real, not check boxes and all that stuff? And it was that sentiment that I don't need a report card. I don't need a checklist. I don't need big brother. I don't need a certificate. I just want to do pretty good houses and be recognized for it and do better and save the planet while you're at it. And so that's always struck a chord with me. And that's always been what we talk about, the building science discussion group. I've just been hovering around that whole milieu, if I can use a fancy French word for this. And yeah, I think I was one of the ones with Steve. No, I don't know who started pushing the book idea. You did. Yeah, it was me, maybe me. So we thought, let's do a book. And then it was, I don't know, 2011, 2012, and no one's into books now. It's all ebooks and e-stuff and all this stuff. And we pitched it to Taunton, and then they got back to us right after COVID hit. And they said, hey, you know what people like these days? Books. That was a great idea. Let's do that book. And we're like, Okay. Let's do it. So so we wrote a book. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. That was my light shade that just found it.
1: <laughs> but it's a
0: podcast. No one.
1: Wait, is it a pretty good office, Chris?
0: It's a pretty good office, except for our light shades are like, this light shade is drawn. It's like one of those, you're going to trim all this out, I hope. Anyway.
1: <laughs> maybe not. It's just reality. Just like where this came from was reality. It was that friction, that interference. That's right. That you got to talk to people about this topic, how this all came into being and resulted in a... 250-page approximate book, very well-detailed and illustrated, very logically laid out. Now, is this the only way you build right now, or is this amongst many ways you build right now?
0: That's probably a different answer for both me and Dan, because I'm an architect. so We design more houses than I dare Danton to build as many houses in a year as I design in a year. But the answer is no for us. We actually do passive houses. We do net zero houses. We haven't done lead in quite a while, but different clients need different things. But that's also what the Pretty Good House book is about is going as far as you can, as it makes sense for you financially. But the trick is knowing what that means. like We would joke that there's nothing new in this book. There's not a single new thing, at least not to me and not to the authors. And most people who troll around the building science environment, they've heard a lot of this, but this is all put together and organized in a way that you can communicate it to builders and homeowners alike. And it makes sense. And so that you, now everyone knows better. You read the book, you know better. You can make help Make those choices.
1: Yeah, there's no excuse.
2: Yeah. I think we also wanted to get the building science accessible. I think that rating system, the particularly Passive House, is fabulous. In fact, there's a main nonprofit that pushes Passive House. And they're doing this class series. And the idea behind it is like, hey, here is a way to build a house that meets energy code, that is safe, that you don't have to worry about rot. You don't have to worry about all these things. We figured it out. Here it is, which is brilliant. And I hope that they succeed. In fact, I'm teaching the class occasionally. But I also think what we really wanted to do, and actually what this class is trying to do, is look under the hood and say, this is the building science behind it. The whole point of the book is it's absolutely non-prescriptive. It's kind of a decision tree, as we say. It's not a how-to, it's a why-to you need to understand some basic concepts and have thought about some basic strategies. And we're going to help you do that.
1: I like that. The not how to, the why to. Something else, the reason why we're doing this podcast today and we want to get it out there quickly is there's also a course that's opening up. Can you tell me about that?
2: We can tell you some about it. Again, as we were talking about off before we started, this is an Emily Motram project who apparently never sleeps, we've learned, while writing the book with her. So she was recruited by Taunton to do a series of classes that are based on the book. And I think they're pretty much ready to roll. I know I'm speaking on some panel when it's actually happening live. I don't know if you've been recruited too, Chris.
0: Oh, yeah. I've been recruited for the design panel. And what do we have the dates? It's like it's in January.
1: Yeah, January 4th, I think, is when it kicks off.
0: It's coming right up.
1: It's
2: coming right up.
0: You can sign up for them. They're online courses, and yeah, led by Emily and...
2: And through Taunton Press, who publishes fine home building, most notably.
0: I'll
1: put that link in the show notes for the online course. Wonderful. So, Dan, question for you. Where can one purchase this book, the Pretty Good House book?
2: Yeah, it should be available everywhere, Bill. It's available from Taunton. It's available from Amazon, obviously, Every local bookstore we've been in touch with has been able to get it, so it should not be hard to get.
1: Okay, very good. How did you come up with the scheme for the arrangement of the chapters in the book? Is this just standard practice for you or for your group, the group that wrote the book?
2: None of this is standard for us. The longest thing any of us had written before this were articles for Fine Home Building and JLC. So this was a new experience. So we played with a couple of different structures. We had an editor at Fine Home Building who helped uh, at Taunton, I mean, who helped us through this. And then I think pretty quickly, it became clear that this seemed to be the best way to go: is to divide it up into the ways we did. There were some things that took us a little while to get till we liked it. There were some things like economics is one of the first chapters, and that's not something that's typically covered in either home rating systems or, frankly, in most. Books directed at customers. So we were happy to have that in there. And then the other thing is in between each chapter, we had a case study. And those, they're somewhat distinct. You don't have to read them to get the sense of the chapter either before or after it. We tried to organize them so they had something to do with the chapters that surrounded it. But that's not always the case either. But we think it added a lot to the book to show some real world examples. And it's something we'd like to do on our website too, is to continue to collect case studies.
1: So I'll ask Krista's question How did you know when to stop writing? It seems like you're such rich experience over all the people that are the authors of the book. When did you know to stop? When was it good enough?
2: We ran out of time. I was just going to say
0: that. It's after the authors, or after Peter and Mark were telling us from Taunton, were telling us, you guys got to be done by X date or else. I actually, I don't know what the or else was. We didn't let them finish that because we were too scared about it. But it's really interesting having four different authors that write at different paces. And I was always the last one to turn in my homework. I think Emily was the first and except for Dan, and Dan was really good. Just like reading everybody's, editing everybody's pre-editing, I should say. And I did some of the illustrations in there. So that occupied tons of time. And it was a lot of work. I mean, you just, books are more work than you think. Or at least I did.
2: But it was also pretty clear. I think we knew when the chapters were there. And then I'm sure we could have edited from now till the end of time. But there was definitely a moment where we thought, okay, these chapters are basically done. And if Taunton likes them, we're good with them.
1: It's interesting. So there's the prettygoodhouse.org website that will show, introduce people to the concept if they haven't seen this before. So you can take this. This is the sampler version, if you will. And there's an interesting flow chart for those of us that like flow charts. I'll consider myself one that likes a flow chart. God bless you. Uh, Thank you. Where you talk about first the economics and you you did stress that. And that's something I think, as you know, I built a net zero so far home in climate zone five, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So far, net zero on solar. Used a lot of principles. In fact, at one point before we were done with the design, I did go through your checklist, the pretty good. I don't think... PGH 2.0 wasn't out yet, but it was PGH 1.0, went through the checklist. You go to, and I'm just going to read these off here, economics, team, climate overview, conceptual design, envelope, thermal, envelope, water, and moisture, those two are separate, fenestration, materials and structure, HVAC and plumbing design, or the mechanicals, Golden lighting, I guess that's not all the mechanicals, but electrical and lighting next, Verification. In owner and occupant behavior. Wow. That is total life cycle, guys. That is pretty amazing.
2: We sure are smart.
1: Yeah. Collectively, at least. (laughs) Not to diminish any of you individually, (laughs) but, but collectively. So I was coursing through the mechanicals chapter, HVAC chapter. It's about 18 pages long. A couple things there I wanted to ask if there's any updates on this, but one of the cons of air source heat pumps was a short lifespan. Still my heart. Is that true?
2: I wrote that chapter, so I have to take responsibility for many. Fortunately, I had Allison Bales proofread it for me, so he definitely caught some embarrassing things that I'd written the first time around. I guess short lifespan. I mean, it's part of that is just in comparison, right? In comparison to a cast iron boiler, it's got a short lifespan. But I guess in comparison to a cast iron boiler, I've got a short lifespan. So.
1: <laughs> okay, all right. So, well, point well taken. You do mention Manuel J. for understanding the load imposed upon the house, and testing and commissioning, which, of course, being from True Tech Tools is near and dear to my heart. You talk about dehumidification, but not humidification. Now, why is that?
2: Well, it's a good question. It's definitely becoming more of an issue in Maine, I think. Partly we're scared of it. (laughs) I think it's part of it.
0: Deciding to add moisture to an environment is something that just makes you feel weird. But I feel like when our houses become tighter, the humidification part becomes less of an issue. It's the dehumidification that increases. With a tighter house and you're boiling pasta and you've got six people in there and you have whatever small dinner party, humidity is something that climbs and that you are worried about rather than the opposite.
2: Right. But it's certainly something that we need to pay more attention to because I think we certainly learned... I mean, I think COVID has taught us a lot about that, right? There's clearly a relatively narrow band of desirable humidity for occupant health. Obviously, from the building's perspective, there's no such thing as too dry. So that's part of it, I'm I'm sure.
1: I notice here, the last case study is the PGG, the Pretty Good Garage.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that tongue-in-cheek or is that just very much on point?
0: Both. I mean, it is a pretty nice garage and it has, I think the point of that particular project is that all these same philosophies you can apply to just about any project, any scale, including your garage, even though you might not be needing to heat it to the same levels and all that jazz. But from materials, resources to the dryability of those building envelopes, it's all the same. And plus having a garage that's separate from your house is also a good indoor air quality move.
1: Do you think this will become a textbook anywhere, or at least
0: a reference in a class,
1: beyond the one that Emily is using her excess energy to conduct?
0: Yeah, actually, I think it is being considered as a textbook in a couple of locations. I know there's one in Canada. Dan, do you remember where that one was? I know
2: Pennsylvania. I don't, but I think in Pennsylvania, right? Wasn't there one that wasn't in schools? So yeah, we've had a few professors in touch with us. And we are actually, we haven't really gotten started yet, but there's a great educational nonprofit here in Maine called the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. And they have a longstanding workshop on new home building. And the guys who've been teaching it for a long time want to retire from that. So we are in talks with the director of the group to use the book as the basis for a new curriculum.
1: There's another aspect to this. There was the in-person meetings, the building science discussion group that went online during COVID and you gave that a new name. What is that?
2: Well, sort of. Let me just back up there a little bit. This is absolutely, this is Mike Mainz's project. So Mike Mains, who's the fourth co-author, lived in Portland when we started the discussion group. About halfway through, he moved up about whatever an hour and a quarter north of portland and he still tried to make it down but it was kind of a haul and he couldn't always do it so he decided to set up his own satellite group and he came up with a brilliant name called bs and beer because he held his sessions at a local microbrewery, and again it's sort of like pretty good house it was just one of these dumb jokes that absolutely captured something brilliant And so before even COVID, there were other chapters he'd already, well, is that true? I'm not sure. I can't guarantee the chronology of all this.
0: I think that's true. There are other chapters forming across the country because of his writings at GBA and calling it BS and here where BS stood for building science. That's so catchy. It's awesome.
2: Right. When COVID hit, They went online because nobody was meeting and we were looking for things to do. And I think they were independent at first. And then pretty quickly, Green Building Advisor started to sponsor it. And that exploded. I mean, I don't know how many people they have on their list, but I'm sure it's in the thousands. I don't know what attendance is like. Once in a while, I'll check to see. But it's always in the several dozen. And I'm sure sometimes it's well over 100. And I think that that's really helped spawn. In fact, ironically, A just was on the show this past week. I don't think it's out yet on YouTube, but it was the subject was discussion groups. And we were on as sort of the original ones. And then some folks from Sacramento who have just started a chapter were on as well. And there's BS and Beer. I mean, I just am so proud of what these guys have done. BS and Beer, it's all over the place. I think there's a chapter in Australia now too. So it's just very exciting. And I got to say, The discussion group has just been a huge part of my professional development. I don't know that I would be anywhere near where I am today if it hadn't been for the discussion group. Just There's people who always show up. There's people who sometimes show up. There are people who show up once. But it's a community of people who all have a similar focus and similar goals, even if we disagree vehemently on some pieces of it. And I just think we've all learned a huge amount from each other. We've developed a common understanding from each other and the beauty of having a local group is you can really talk about what's going on locally and in southern maine maine has the old supposedly has the oldest housing stock in the state so retrofits and energy efficient trying to make old drafty houses energy efficient is a huge part of what we talk about here obviously if we were in arizona nobody would care about it. none of the houses are more than 15 minutes old and you don't have to worry about the same things we do so that's really the beauty, I think, of having your own local discussion group.
1: Is the book limited to new construction and the discussion group goes beyond that?
0: The book is focused on single-family new construction. And that was really – we had many conversations about how much renovation do we want to wrap into this book. But renovation, we decided is just – it's when you have a project – it comes with it its own special particular baggage that will never cover everything, all these different conditions that you could possibly run into when you're renovating. And so we thought, as we talk about a single-family house, we'll just get the concepts out. Pretty Good House is really about, as you were reading all those chapters and that flow chart, there's so much to think about in one house, and especially from a homeowner who or from people who are new at the trades. It's really hard to wrap your head around everything all at once and organize it in a way that you go through this process, you come out the other end of the great house. That's really what this book is about. We figure that applies to renovations as well. You're just not going to see the specific drawings and things that probably you want to see if you are renovating your own house.
1: Yeah, because each situation is different. It's modes of construction, it's era of construction, it's materials that are used, it's quality of construction just too many things to peel apart there I just had this vision where if you did run that flow chart for renovation some of those circles if you put like the dollar value on what it would take to accomplish
0: yeah that might just blow the whole project right if I can I'll just tease hey there may be a pretty good renovations book in discussed <laughs> wow you
1: heard it here first folks
2: yeah, that's right yep yeah.
0: Exactly.
2: And we've had some discussions about it, and it would definitely be structured much differently than this one was, just because it would have to be. I think as I wrote in the intro, any rules we made about renovation, you'd have to break immediately. The way to do renovation is to have a wide experience and a deep bag of tricks and figure out what you're going to do in that specific situation.
1: Interesting. In the intro, the preface to the book, you do give credit to a couple of building science all stars who helped you through this process. Do you want to just talk about their influence a little bit?
2: Some of them are just influences because you can't do anything like Joe Seabrick and John Straub. I mean, if you're interested in building science, you've either read their stuff or read stuff by people who learned from them, whether you know it or not. They didn't have any direct involvement in the book, but you can't really talk about residential building science without owing a debt of gratitude to those two and everybody else at Building Science Corp. Some people are more direct. Allison Bales is a friend of ours. As I said, he read my mechanical chapter before who else? Martin Holiday. Yeah, Martin Holliday. I mean, he really was sort of the midwife to the pretty good house. I mean, it never would have gone beyond our local discussion group without Martin. And obviously also any discussion of building. He's just been huge. If John and Joe created the field of talking and writing about building science. Martin, I think, made it accessible to a whole new audience. Some people had very specific inputs. There's a writer that Emily thanked who really helped her out a lot. But in terms of technical things, I think those are the main inputs.
0: Yeah, and like we have pretty good lighting. David Warfel wrote a couple pages on lighting for us in there. So we've had help. All of our peers and friends have really been supportive throughout the whole thing. And the thing is with this book is we can't retire because of this book. We still have to be architects and builders and whatnot because it's, I don't know if you've ever written a book. It's not the most lucrative career path, but that's not our purpose. I mean, we really are genuinely trying to move the needle on the construction industry and the design industry so that. Our houses are better than what we've been building lately, which have been here in Maine. Whew! There is just a lot of old production buildings that they're not aging well, and we have to do better in the future.
2: That was a good point, Chris. And one of the things that we thought about was if everybody had loved lead for homes or passive house, and it was twenty percent of new homes were being built under those things, I don't know that we would have bothered. But that was part of our frustration too, as we kept saying, "Oh boy." when Lead for Homes came out, I was incredibly excited. like, this really has the potential to break through, but it didn't. And then the same thing with Passive House. I mean, a lot of people in the industry talk about them, but there's a trivial number of them getting built. So it just felt like, all right, this is a way to make it comprehensible to everybody, to make it less intimidating to both people who want to build homes, to contractors who think oh God, this is some, either they're scared that it's dangerous or they're dismissive and they say houses need to breathe or whatever. And architects who maybe know that it's the right thing to do, but just are a little scared to jump into it. So we really wanted to break it down to bite-sized chunks, I guess.
1: Are you hearing feedback that diverse housing consumers are interacting either with the book or the website or the
0: concept? Absolutely. I hear from friends who bought the book and then we're like, oh my God, you wrote it. I was going to tell you, you should get this book, but you are the author.
2: That's everything.
0: And yeah, yeah. I tell you the people who I think are really excited the most are people who are about to do a major renovation or addition to their house, or they're about to build a house, or they're going to take on all this stuff and they are do it yourselfers I think we wrote the book intentionally to try and catch that group as well as like the architect, the builder. And the homeowner, it's just like the do-it-yourselfer is a big part of that.
2: Yeah, I think most of the negative feedback that we've gotten has been like just people who wanted it to be like more, who sort of missed the point of what we were trying to accomplish and who our target audience was. Plenty of people already know everything in this book. As Chris said, there's nothing new in it. So if you've been reading about building science for a decade, you don't really need our book. i beg to differ, Dan. I
0: think they need, I think they need three book.
2: Everybody needs our book. To hand to others. Exactly. And that's actually been the most exciting thing. I actually, I was in our local bookstore a month ago or so, picking up a book I'd ordered. And I saw a copy of our book in the special order section. I said, oh, hey, there's my book. And they said, oh, which one? And then I said, pretty good house. And they said, oh my God, people are coming in and buying like 10 copies at a time, which means that they're handing it out to people. I assume they're not buying 10 copies for their own use. So it means that they're buying 10 copies to give to their crew or to give to their clients or whatever. And to me, that's the most exciting thing.
1: And you have nearly five stars on Amazon.
2: A couple of crabby people in there. A couple of crabby people here. I remember a second review was like
0: three stars. Great book, but it came damaged. And I'm like, no, you're ruining our our average. That's your fault. You wrote a damaged book. Right,
2: exactly. Well, we certainly did, but.
1: (laughs) In another way. So. Another question, both of you field your own answer to this. When do you think building science really started? When were the cavemen, cave women working with the fire and sticks of building science?
2: <laughs> I think I actually had a line in the intro about like the first building scientists were people who realized that they could go into a cave in the heat of the summer that they could cool off in a cave or stay out of the rain or whatever. So I went back pretty far.
0: Okay. That's pretty far. I don't know if I've got a better answer than that. I think for each of us on our journey as design and building professionals, there's a moment where, I don't know, it's like that sophomore moment where you're like, yeah, I got this, man. I figured it all out. And then you go to some presentation or somebody shows you something and you're like, oh my gosh, that thing I did could cause mold issues or that brilliant idea I had was not brilliant at all. And then it's you get a nice serving of humble pie fed to you and it tastes bitter. Then you start digging in and saying, oh, I got to be better about this. And that's the moment where you realize this whole book is about knowing better. So now that you know better, go do better.
1: Know better, do better. Yeah, like
2: that. And I think probably the modern, to me, I think one of the dividing points is, you know, when we started, I mechanical equipment, right? I mean, I think that's really when building science really had to start. When you were heating your house with something other than direct open flame, that's when you really had to start thinking about how were you conditioning the house and what is that doing to the house and the occupants.
0: Yeah.
1: This has been a great overview in allowing my listeners to meet you too, Dan and Chris, and to get to know the book that you've written, to learn a little bit about the course. If this tickles your fancy, again, I'll put a, a link in for the course that's being offered. that's kicking off on January 4th, 2023. I'll also put in links to the PGH, the pretty good house website, and the BS and Beer Show. There's just so much information here. But seriously, look at the book, everyone listening here. Take a look at that. You'll find a number of places, Taunton, Amazon, other places. You'll get a good dose of understanding of how to build a pretty good house. Thanks, Bill. I want to thank you, Chris and Dan, for joining me here today.
2: Thank you. Yes, thank you, Bill. It was fun. Okay, take care. Bye.
1: I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast with Dan Colbert and Chris Brilli, where we learned about what makes a pretty good house. There's a lot of great links in the show notes to articles, websites, the BS and Beer Show, a lot of great stuff. Check it out if this piques your interest at all. There are other great related resources and influencers, including the HVAC Our School, HVAC Shop Talk, Steven Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, MeasureQuick, and there's tons more. I also host the ResTalk podcast, which delves a lot more into home energy rating systems, builders, programs, codes, things like that. You might find some of that interesting too. If you'd like to send a note to me, whether you like the podcast or like to hear a different topic, any question at all, really, send me a note at bill at truetechtools.com. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast and hope to have you back next time to listen to more of what makes up building HVAC science. Take care.